Well, dear congregation, I would ask you to please turn your very prayerful attention to that passage of Holy Scripture that I read to you in your hearing, no doubt. Matthew chapter 13 is very familiar to us all. You will know that there are eight parables, one successively, it seems, after the other. Eight parables, at least. The large part, the first portion, the first parable, is the parable of the sower. And as we come to the gospel sermon tonight, there may be those sat amongst us wondering, which type of soil am I? It is not essentially the parable of the sower, but some have called it the parable. It says here in the title, notice in it's, it's in italics, that means it's not in the original. Some have said it's the parable of the soils. But we understand, we know, he says, the seed is the word, the word of God, the gospel as it is preached. And really in the first parable, we are told that there are essentially four different types of soil. And there may be those that have listened to that parable and thought, well, I don't really know which I am. And I hope to make connection with that parable, another parable that we will look at This evening, the parable of the wheat and the tares. As I said, there are many parables in Matthew chapter 13. There are at least eight parables. We have, uh, first of all, the parable of the sower, verses 1 to 23. Then the parable of the wheat and the tares, 24 to 30. Then you have the parable, notice there, of the mustard seed. The parable of the leaven, verse 33. The parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the merchant, the parable of the net, and the parable of the householder. All of these, it seems, were spoken on the same day as he spoke by the seaside. And so vast was the crowd as he stood on the shore and he spoke these things. And you can imagine the great crowd gathering around. And he spoke by way of analogy. A parable, really, we could say, is a simile. We get the word similar from simile, if you do the etymology. Simile. And uh, often we'll see, it says, the kingdom of heaven is likened. Notice verse 24, as we look at this parable of the wheat and the tares. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed In his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed the tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. Verse 27 So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, Didst not thou sow good seed in thy field, from whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Would thou then that we go and gather them up? Now here's the whole point. But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and the time of the harvest I will say, 
to the reapers. Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And it seems later on that the disciples pick up on this. They get back to the house and they ask him with regards to this parable. Notice verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. One thing I want you to firstly notice is the humility of the disciples. And, um, you know, whether we are saved or not, we all ought to have a true humility when it comes to the Word of God and not presume we know everything. We must ask the Lord. We should ask Him in prayer. We must ask Him to reveal things from the Scriptures to us. And He gives the answer. He answered and said to him, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. And of course, the Lord Jesus, we know himself. He says he is the Son of Man that came to seek and to save that which is lost. And then he says here, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now, as we come to this parable, firstly, we've noticed the humility of the disciples and how they ask him, what is the meaning of this parable? They want to handle it very carefully, and we should always handle the word of God very carefully. And he gives the explanation. And uh, this is a parable I could say and should say, I want to comfort those tonight. Maybe you are not aware God may well be doing a work in your heart. He says here that the field is the world. Now, some have mistakenly said that the field is the church. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says here that the field is the world. In other words, it's God's world. Think about it. God has his people in this world. And there is a real enemy. It tells us, first of all, that God is over the world. The Son of God is above and has authority. Psalm 24 tells us, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So the field here is the world. One of the problems, and people have used this passage here to say that this is the church, and uh, you notice how the Lord says here, let the wheat and the tares grow together. And they have used this as an excuse to ignore sin in the church. And sadly, they say, well, we don't really know who Christians are and who Christians aren't. Well, is that what the Word of God teaches? That's not what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God teaches us in Matthew chapter 18, if you may wish to turn there, you know that very familiar passage of Scripture in Matthew 18 where there is sin in the church. And uh, he tells us, Matthew 18 verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, 
Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall ye be, shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So it's quite clear, isn't it, from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that there is to be church discipline. The field is the world. He's not speaking here about the church, but he is speaking about the very fact that there are believers and unbelievers in this world. There are tares and there are those that are wheat. The wheat are the Lord's people. And he will garner, he will bring in. There is a final day when the Lord will bring in that great harvest of souls. If you turn to Revelation 14, verse 13, we're really coming to this in our midweek studies. We have this very clear analogy here. And I heard a voice from heaven, verse 13, saying unto me, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle, and another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. This is the great coming of the Son of Man in glory, when he shall gather all of his wheat from the world. And so we're reminded here in the verse 38 that the field is the world. And again, let me say, it's very clear, we read there from Matthew 18, that somebody who clearly manifests that they will not listen it's not the church has a real authority as it teaches the word of God. The church has a membership. If there are unbelievers here, we don't kick them out and say, I'm sorry, you can't come to our meetings here. Of course, we welcome all people. But in the visible body of the church, there is, it's clear from Matthew 18, a church membership. And those that will not comport to Scripture... And yet they say they belong to the body of Christ and will not hear their brother. If a man goes on in a known sin and is lovingly, lovingly admonished by another, and he still will not hear another, and still will not hear the church, he cannot be said to be one that belongs to the membership of that church. Why? Because he will bring this honor to the name of Jesus Christ. But here, in this parable, we are dealing with the field 
the world. So this is, again, not about correction. But here, I say, he says earlier, notice in this parable, he says an enemy sowed tares. Now, who is the enemy? We're told here, the devil. The devil sows tares. And who are the tares? The unbelieving. And the servants say, well, what are we going to do? Sir, look at verse 27. Didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, an enemy has done this. And the servant said unto him, Would thou then that we go and gather them up? It seems that they have almost the spirit of James and John. The sons of thunder is what they were called. The sons of Zebedee. Remember when they, the Lord Jesus preached in that city and, they, and then the people didn't listen. They said, would you like us to call down hellfire from heaven? He said, what did he say? He said, you know not what spirit you are. You don't know what kind of a spirit you are. This is wrong. Your spirit is wrong. And what is the warning here? Verse 29, but he said, nay, lest while ye gather up the tares... Ye root up also the wheat with them. In other words, he's saying, you're a little bit thick-fingered. Now let me just explain. These wheat and tares in this day were almost indistinguishable. The Greek word here for the tares is pronounced zizanion. And these looked very much like wheat while they were growing up. And it was only until you could actually see the wheat coming forth that you could say, this is wheat. This is wheat. This is the masters. And let me say this. This parable is given after the parable of the sower. And that's, I find, very interesting, don't you? And I want to give a word of encouragement, because we can be very much like the servants here, a little thick-fingered, you know? And we can deal with people a little bit harshly. It doesn't mean to say that we need to welcome anybody straight away into church membership that says, I'm a Christian. But at the same time, it does not mean we we don't write them off, do we? Little by little, we see fruits in the life of people. So often we are very quick, all of us, to come to judgments about people. And so often people come with so much baggage in their life, so much of the world... And it takes a little while, doesn't it? Because by nature we are all, what, children of wrath. Paul tells us this in Ephesians 2. We by nature were children of wrath. We were once unclean. We were filthy. And when we come to Christ, a lot of that sin has to be dealt with. By and by and by in our lives. And there may be those, and let me give a word of encouragement to those who are seeking the Lord by the grace of God. 
And you look at other Christians and you think, my, I could never be like him. Or I could never be like her. I'm so far removed and I I have so much sin in my life, I'm not a Christian. Well, we need to look for marks in the life as to whether we are children. We must look inwardly, you see, because nobody knows your heart better than you. Nobody knows your life better than you. And of course, more than you, God. God knows you better than I know you or you know yourself. And this is why David said, search me, Lord, and try me. And see if there be any unclean thing in me. That really is the spirit of somebody that has indeed been born again. Because the natural man does not really seek the Lord. Somebody that truly means that, and somebody that has come to see that they're a sinner, somebody that has come to see that they deserve the wrath of God. And I want us to think about the various aspects so that we are not too thick-fingered with ourselves. And, And we can be. Or maybe we can be very careless. And just assume, well, I'm a Christian. All is well. And we find in that day we're lost. And we hear those words, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Could that be us? So we don't want to be too thick-fingered with ourselves. Neither do we want to be too gung-ho, do we? Too blasé. As if just to assume we are the wheat and the others are the tares. We're here, we're not out there. But maybe there is one and there are those. Remember what the Lord said. He will not quench smoking flax. Nor will he break bruised reed. Now I want to ask you, are you bruised? Are you bruised in heart? You look at your life. Is there great regret? I mean, not just regret over sin and not just regret over things that you've done. But when you look at your life, as it were, as you can imagine yourself now standing before God, and you are in the presence of God, you're always in the presence of God. Are you ashamed? Do you have such a spirit as the man in the temple who could not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven, but said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? Is that your heart, friend? If I say, if you say, yes, it is so, I say, that's a good start. You feel your sin, especially before God, and you're ashamed of it. And you hate your sin. You say, but I can't help sinning. Well, you're born a sinner. And sinners we die. But some die saved sinners. Some die trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus. These are those that have received the word in Matthew chapter 13. They receive the word. Not like some anon straight away. And they hear the word and... There's joy for a while, but yet trouble and trial and persecution comes. 
Uh, you don't see them at church anymore. I'm too down. Well, the time you need to be in church is especially when you're down, when you're low. It's the time you need the Lord most, isn't it? And it's the time when the trials of this world and the trials of life come upon you that it causes that seed that has been sown in the heart to grow and to grow stronger and stronger. Job says, the righteous shall hold on his way. That's God's way, the way of salvation. And he that hath clean hands shall grow stronger and stronger. That is, if your hands have begun to get clean by the word, they will become stronger. By and by, trials will not break you. You say, well, I feel like such a a weed. I feel like such a tear. Well, let me say this. We're using analogy here. These who are the Lord's, the Lord is planted. It's the planting of the Lord. They were taken out of Adam and put into Christ. And they're a new creature. Isaiah says it is the planting of the Lord. You can look back and you can say there has been a change in my life. Where I was once this, but now I am that. Now I love to be. In the house of God, I love to hear the word of God. I, I, love, I love to hear about Christ, but I want to be like Christ. I want to be Christ-like. That is my desire. I am not satisfied merely with the hearing of the word. I want to obey the word. You see, we're told here that the wheat and the tares, they look similar. People can't tell the difference, but eventually, by and by, you can tell the difference. What is the difference? Well, they noticed there was a difference. They noticed there were those that were clearly appearing to be weeds. But you know, maybe it's the case. We have to go, be very careful how far we go with this analogy, because there is a time when there are those that clearly manifest themselves to be completely worldly. And suddenly there's a change in the life. And we don't know who the Lord's are until that change takes place. So we have to be very careful with our own heart. And when that change takes place, what you will begin to see is fruit evidencing in the life. What are some of those fruits? Well, we're told in 1 John, there are at least seven evidences of a changed life. The first is, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And that does not mean perfectly, my friends. But that means that you know that God has set aside one day, one day in the week, for you to be with him and to be with his people. I simply can't understand those who can't set aside a day and cannot for the life of them see the benefit of it. I have to say I don't think those people can really be converted because the new birth creates in us a love for God's people. They love to be with the wheat. 
They love to be with the wheat. I know this when the Lord worked in my heart. I just couldn't wait for the next Lord's Day to hear the Word of God opened up and to come and to learn something new from the Word of God. I didn't know. It was like I was drawn to the church like a magnet was drawing files to itself. Iron filings. You've seen it, haven't you, children? Iron filings on a table and you, you put the magnet there. And that is how the gathered church is. You, you, you read the early church, look at them. Them that were baptized. They met, it says, daily. And they gathered and came under the instruction of the apostles' teaching. And they were joined to the local body of church and they break bread together. This is something they delighted in. And it was quite clear that these were the Lord's people. And they delighted in the Lord. In fact, John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And you know, it's true, there's something remarkable about the Lord's day. We love to be here. And you know, we want that same blessing to go with us when we go away. We don't come here for a quick fix, do we? We come here. That we may know the Lord and may continue to know him out there in the world. Secondly, do we love the brethren? Do you love Christians? Because those who love the brethren, I can't for the life of me understand somebody that says, I'm a Christian, but I don't see them. Hardly. And they abstain themselves. They forsake the gathering of the saints. I think they're kidding themselves. Well, there's something really wanting in them. Well, they've never really met true brethren, one or the other. But God's people love to flock together. They say birds of a feather flock together, don't they? And Christians meet together. They love to meet together. They love to praise the Lord. Something else. Do you love the world? Because if you love the world, I have news for you. You're still a tear. You're lost. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see here, he's speaking, the field is the world. People in the world. And you will find all kinds of people with all kinds of profession. We all come from the world, haven't we? To one degree or another. This is why the Lord said, Go ye into all the world. Didn't he say that? And the Lord will call, my friend, let me say this, people from all quarters of this world, all corners, all walks of society. It doesn't matter whether you're a dustbin collector. It doesn't matter you have done the, the worst crimes in the world, the Lord saved murderers, thieves. Not many wise, not many nobles, says Paul, were called, but he calls every one of them by grace. And not one of us, if we're Christians here tonight, can ever boast. Do we bring anything really 
to the church in of ourselves. In fact, it is the Lord who gifts the people for any office, any capacity in the local church. It is the Lord, and therefore honor and glory will always be given to Jesus Christ. So do you love the world? Do you love the brethren? Do you seek to keep God's commandments? If you hate your brother or hate somebody, you can't be one of Christ's disciples. Because you see, he that has been forgiven will forgive others. If you have an unforgiving spirit, it shows that you've never really been forgiven. Here's another thing. John tells us they went out from among us because they were not of us. And that is they would not sustain the teaching of Christ. The Lord Jesus said, Blessed are they that receive me and my words. You can't detach Christ from his word. He said, Blessed is he who is not offended in me. Are you somebody that is offended at the things of Christ? Well, the Lord Jesus speaks so plainly on matters, doesn't he? So plainly on truth. He tells us that our hearts are a world of iniquity. He tells us that in man there is basically no good thing. I mean, I, I, I can quote any part of Scripture. That's Christ. It's the word of Christ. He was preaching in the Old Testament through the prophets. The word of God was being declared. There's no good thing in man. Man at his very best state is vapor. Are you offended at that? Are you offended? Remember in John when uh, there were those that came and were offended because he said, Things such as, unless a man eat my flesh and drink my blood, he cannot be my disciple, neither can he enter the kingdom of heaven. And there were many that were offended. And he also said, speaking of himself, John six fifty eight, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Can you remember that? Can you think of that? Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? Then Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured it. He said unto them, Doth this offend you? And we are told that day, many from that moment, from that time, followed him no more. You see, there are people that will follow Christ up to a point. But when we speak about certain things, they just not have it. Oh, to them the Lord Jesus must be all-embracing. To them he must accept same-sex marriage. He must accept homosexuals. He must accept, I don't know, all kinds of strange things that are not found in the Bible. You see, they want an accommodating Lord Jesus. John said they went out from among us because they were not of us. The spirit of the world and today 
And you hear this in the church, sadly. So many so-called churches saying, well, the church must change with the times. You've heard that saying, the church must change with the times. Well, my Lord says, I change not. And that offends many people. You see, the tears really cause trouble to the wheat, don't they? They sap and they drain the growth. But in some ways, the growth is stronger too. The wheat that really is sustained is sustained tremendously. It has to. There will be tribulation in the world. And remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, it must needs be that there be schisms, that there be factions among you, that they that are manifest, are, are, are approved of God, are manifest. Trials will make the Christian stronger, even trials in the church, trials in the world. Here's another comfort. As we come to this parable, the Lord is saying... Don't worry, not one wheat will be lost. The tares will not affect the wheat. That's not about discipline in the church. It's about this, the Lord knows who are His. And who are His will be made manifest. Those that are not of us will go. They will go their way. Will you go also, said the Lord Jesus. Peter said, where can we go, Lord? Thou hast the words of eternal life. My friends, that is the church. You say, I don't want to be anywhere else. But where Christ is and where Christ is preached. What else does John say? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Yes, that's what John says. The wheat, no, they're wheat by the grace of God. And they will not have idols anymore. They'll not make even themselves an idol. They'll live for the glory of God, for the praise of God, and they will let nothing grow in that heart that will destroy. Now it's true, you know, you only have to read the Song of Solomon where the Lord pictures every one of God's people as having a garden. And that garden is to be fresh and fair. Let me say this, if you are a young tender wheat and there is not any real yet true sign of life, and yet you feel it, your heart goes out to the Lord. Let me say one thing. The tender graces of God will not grow in a heart where there are weeds. And we have to, by the Spirit of God, pluck out those things that spoil the fruit and the life. There is a personal responsibility. One of the things, remember what the Lord Jesus said, if thine eye cause thee to offend, pluck it out. You do it. Don't sit back on the sofa and expect God to do it and expect God to turn off that television. You get up, you turn it off. If thine eye 
defend thee. Pluck it out. If thine hand. You have to cut it off. You have to take action. My friends, this is not a religion of let go and let God. But you see what the parable is saying. He is saying, the Lord is saying to his servants, be patient. The kingdom of heaven, my friends, does not come with observation. Look at the other parables. We don't have time tonight. But you know, it's little by little. And the Lord knows your heart before him tonight. You must pluck out. You must guard against all sin. Remember what he said. Enter in by the narrow gate. Strive, agonizimai, to enter in. And as you go in the narrow gate, it's a narrow way. But it leads to life. It leads to life. I never said the Christian life will be easy. And I don't think any true preacher ever did. But we have to mortify. If we have the Spirit of God, we will. If you are wheat, you will put to death those things that war against your soul, my friend. You will. You will, by the grace of God, cry out, Turn me, Lord, and I shall turn. Help me, Lord. Save me, and I shall be saved, we read. Yes, that's the Spirit. There are so many things we can see in John. Evidences. John says about our hearts, if our hearts condemn us, he is greater. You know, thank God he is greater than our sin. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Those whose hearts are condemned, and you feel it. You come before God and you say, Lord, I am an undone sinner. My friend, those are the only fit ones. Those are the only ones that can really say there is life. You see, a man thinks he is strong before God. A man thinks he is just. The child of God, he rests in the finished work of a wonderful Savior. A wonderful Savior. Remember this. What did he say? Except a corn of wheat die in the ground, it abideth alone. Now, who was he speaking of there? In John 12, he was speaking of himself. He was speaking of the fact that he had to die, that he had to suffer on the cross, that he had to be buried in the tomb, and that he has to be raised. He was that corn of wheat, and because he lives... God's people will live too. That's your hope. Your hope is not so much on what you do. What you do is the evidences of what you are. But your hope is in Jesus Christ, in the finished work of Christ, in his death for his people, in his substitutionary life where he lived for them as the Son of Man and as the Son of God. He earned a perfect, spotless righteousness for his people. And he died the death of deaths for them. 
that he might, might be that grain that would die, and that he might be the first fruits of them that will rise. And then we have it, we've read it, haven't we, in Revelation 14, the very one who is that corn that went into the ground will be the very one that reaps the great harvest of souls on that day. And those souls are precisely those that have died to self. You see, what he did is a picture of what everyone truly that is a tear is. He dies to self and he lives to Christ. And that's the question, have you died to self? And are you denying yourself? Well, if you are, you may be a smoking flax. You may be a bruised reed. And I don't want to have thick fingers and cast you out. Because the Lord knows you better than I know you. You know your own soul, the state of your soul tonight. And if you truly are the Lord's, there will be evidences in the life before long. Take heart. Take courage. Trust in him. Amen.